0: Alright church, if you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 today, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21 in Luke chapter 4. The title of today's message is called Christ's Ministry and Our Mission. Christ's Ministry and Our Mission. So let's read the text here. In Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through through all the surrounding district. And He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Him. And He opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask you, Father, to, to pour out your Spirit upon us today, God, to give us understanding of your Word. Father, that you would assist me in the preaching of your Word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to have your way today. Ask you, Lord, to strengthen your people, to encourage them, to equip them, Lord, to exhort them, Father, we just pray for your will to be done and your Son, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to be glorified today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Christ's Ministry and Our Mission is the title. And on your uh, bulletin, underneath the title on the back, I have two questions for you that I want to that I want us to try to answer for ourselves. And for our church today, first question is What did Jesus do? What did He do? And are we doing what He did? Are we doing what Jesus did? Those are the questions we're going to attempt to answer, guys. And so I would challenge you to examine yourself. Let's examine ourselves individually, in our own personal lives, and as a church. Are we doing what Jesus did? We all know the bracelets that were so popular at one point in time. What would Jesus do? Um, Now, the the proper question is, what did he do? And that's in his word, right? That's that's in the Gospels. That's in the word of God. We can see what he did. And today today, the lens is really zoomed in on his ministry, on what he came to do. And we're supposed to be followers of Christ, are we not? We're called to follow Christ. I looked up some synonyms for that word follow. Listen to these. Imitate. See, when Jesus calls us to follow Him, He calls us to be His imitators. Or to emulate Him. Or to do like Him. To simulate. To model after. To mimic. That's what we're to do. That's what we're called to do. To follow Christ. To follow after Christ. Are we doing that? Are we doing that personally? Are we doing that corporately? Are we doing that as a church? You know, it would be, like, be like saying, I'm going to follow after, after Arnold Schwarzenegger in the sense of, of working out, right? Weightlifting. Somebody says, I'm going to follow after him. But some people, about as far as they take it, they just read about him. <laughs> they watch the videos. They, they admire him from afar. They read about lifting weights. But I remember years ago when I used to go to the gym, I'd see guys like this. <laughs> I'd be there like an hour and a half and you'd see these guys. They'd be standing over there talking to one another. They'd have the weightlifting gloves on, the belt. But they would never do anything. And I just thought, why do you come here and spend this money? They're like one of these guys. I want to be like Arnold. (laughs) But to be like Arnold, guys, we'd have to imitate Arnold. We'd have to imitate him. We'd have to do like him. Lift the weights. (laughs) The equipment's not going to help you. The fancy belt, the fancy gloves, the fancy tank tops. It's not going to help you. You can go to the largest gym. Right? Go to the gym with all the machines, all the weights, but it's not going to help you if you're not truly following after Arnold. <laughs> imitating Arnold. You know, the ministry of the church, when I say the church, just the church at large. Especially in our, well, probably worldwide, but we see it in our, in our, in our culture. The ministry, the ministry of the church is messed up. It really is. What, what, what are we doing as a church? You know, there's many people, again, we're supposed to be following after Christ individually we're supposed to be following after christ as a church there's many people they about as far as they take it many churches many individuals they'll read about christ they'll read what he did they'll admire him they'll give him amen they'll give him amen especially when they're when they're around their peers you know and they can get excited about a sermon different churches we, we boast about the equipment we have right we got all the books we got all the conferences we go to depending on which camp you're in, right? The reformed people, you know, we got the books, we got the knowledge. The charismatic, we got the gifts. But are are any of us doing what Christ did? What he called us to do? Well, we go to the largest, fanciest church. That doesn't mean we're modeling Christ. Just because we have a small church doesn't mean we're modeling Christ. Are we doing what Christ did? What are we doing? As a church, what are we doing as Christians? Why are we here? Why did Christ leave us here? We are called the church of who? Jesus Christ. He's the one we're to model. He is the one we're to emulate. He is the one we are to follow. We say we are followers of Christ. What did Christ tell His disciples when He called them? I will make you into the largest most popular church. That's not what he said. That's what, not what it meant to be a follower of him. I'll give you the best equipment. No, he said, I'll make you what? Fishers of men. We're going to look at the heart of his ministry today. His ministry, beloved, the title is, is Christ's ministry and our mission. And his ministry is our mission. Okay? And I was trying to be really careful with words. His mission is not our mission. His mission was to go to the cross. He he came to give his life as a sacrifice, right? For the remission of sin. That's not our mission. We don't give ourselves on the cross to pay for sin. No, but His ministry, which is what we're going to see today, that is our mission. And so that's where the title came from. Christ's ministry and our mission. The 116 Bible Church Fellowship, I'm reading out of a... uh, this one of our, one of our statements. It's not our statement of faith, but it's just about one sixteen. It's part of that, one of the paragraphs in, in, that, in that document. It says the one sixteen Bible Church Fellowship believes that the Great Commission is the Great Commission is every church's mission. That's exactly what I'm preaching on today. Every church's mission. It's not the work of some churches. It's not the work of the historic apostolic church, the missionary churches overseas, or local churches that have a particular vision to reach their city or region. It's the work of every church. In every city. In every region. Everywhere. It's Christ's final, authoritative, and standing great commission. His command to His universal church. That's what we're going to look at today. Christ's ministry and our mission. Three points today. Try to keep it simple. Always try to keep with the alliteration, guys. Not to uh, try to be fancy or clever. To help you remember. You're only going to remember certain things out of a sermon. So if these can help you remember the three C's today. First of all, we're going to see His, his custom. Secondly, His calling, which is going to be the emphasis. And third, His clarity. So what did Jesus do? Are we doing what Jesus did? First of all, let's look at His custom real quickly. His custom, verses 14 through 16. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about Him spread through all the surrounding district. And He began teaching in their synagogues, and was praised by all. And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. So that's where we get the word custom. Custom. For our first point in verse 16, as was His custom, He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. But before we get to that point real quickly, guys, in verse 14, it says Jesus returned to Galilee. Galilee is the northern portion of Israel. So He's returning there and He's returning in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about this really through the birth of Christ as a child, uh, through His baptism, His temptation that he was walking in the power of the Spirit, right? He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was always full of the Holy Spirit, right? He was always trusting in his Father, trusting in the power of the Spirit. In John's Gospel, in in chapter 3, verse 34, John even says that he had been given the Spirit without measure. Without measure. In other words, he was under the Spirit's influence, direction, continually. And so he, he returned to Galilee, once again, in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout all the surrounding districts, beloved. The reason the news had spread about him, uh, spread the news about him had spread through all the surrounding districts, is because this account right here, starting in verse fourteen, is is probably historians believe that it's probably roughly about a year has gone by since his baptism, right here in, in Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel, and Mark's gospel. This is probably roughly a year. He's been ministering in, in the, the Judean region down in southern, the southern part of the nation in, in the area of Jerusalem. You can see this, if you want to read about it, in, in John's Gospel in the first four chapters. And you'll see a verse in John chapter 4 where he comes back to Galilee. That's where it kind of picks up right here. But he's been busy. He's been preaching. So the words got around. So that's probably the time frame that we're looking at here. But going on in verse fifteen, it says he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. These synagogues, there would have been one in at least there had been at least one in each town, with some towns having several. And so, a synagogue was not to replace the temple where the sacrifices are made. Right? These synagogues were not to replace the temple. But they were small gatherings. After the kind of the, histo- the history of the synagogues, is after the Babylonians destroyed the temple in 586 BC, Jewish exiles began to gather in small groups to hear God's word, which later developed, these eventually developed in the time of the New Testament into what we call synagogues. You know what I see here? I see God's remnant, right? The temple's been destroyed. But we gotta gather and hear the hear the word of God. It's no different now. It's no different now. This is God's true people. Shut us down. Tear the building down. Send a virus. But we're gonna meet because we have to meet. We want to hear God's word. It doesn't matter whether we have a fancy building, whether we have a roof. We'll meet out in the woods. Right? That's what the Church of Jesus Christ does. We're so spoiled. Read about these believers in other these other countries. They'll walk. Two miles through the woods, or two hours through the woods, through the rain, through the jungle, to sit under a bamboo hut to hear the Word of God preached. They don't have the fancy instruments. They don't have time to get in the stupid arguments that we get in here about what kind of instruments should you use? Should you use instruments? Hey, man, grab some bamboo and make some noise about Christ and hear His Word preached. It's really simple. We complicate things so much, we have too much idle time on our hands. But that's what, these, um, that's what these synagogues were. That's how they started out. People of God went together to hear the Word of God. And, and to our point here in verse 16, He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. Right? That's His hometown. We'll see that more. He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom... He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Oh, before I look at 16, that last phrase in verse 15, I didn't have it written down, but it says He was praised by all. We know that's going to change real soon. (laughs) Probably next week's sermon or the sermon after, you're going to see that uh, Jesus Christ being praised by all. (laughs) That's why we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture, right? We know that most rejected Him eventually. But at this time, He was receiving praise. But in verse 16, that's where we get this word custom. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. Custom. So this is his hometown, beloved. This is really this is his home church. He would have been they would have been familiar with him. These synagogues are really similar. The way they were set up, they were they were very similar to what to what we see in the New Testament model of the local church and the things that they did. In the synagogue, the first thing they would do, they would they would they would repeat the the Shema? The hero Israel, Deuteronomy six four and following. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That, that's how they would start. So like a prayer, like a blessing, and then they would then they would go to singing, singing the psalms. There was early Christian hymns that they may have been singing, and then and then scripture would be read out of the law, out of the Torah, and then out of the prophets, and then you'd have somebody explain. There'd be like a sermon, very similar, and then they would end with a prayer. But Jesus. So the leader of the synagogue would pick a person. Sometimes it would be a visiting rabbi, which is what Jesus was at this time, to read a portion of the Torah. And, and Jesus read a portion of the prophets. So, but but the point is, this was his custom. What was his custom? Exactly. What what is this custom we're looking at? That he had been. Uh, this is where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. He went to church. That's his custom. He, he was in God's house every Sabbath. This was his custom. Another word for custom is habit. This was the Lord's habit growing up to be in God's house. He had godly parents that would take him. But he, this is where he grew up. And it was his custom. He would always be in a synagogue on the Lord's Day, even during his ministry. He would attend the synagogue. Beloved, you remember the verse we read earlier in this, in this Gospel where it says Jesus grew? He grew in stature and in wisdom, right? He grew physically, but He grew in wisdom really, or realistically as we talked about, as a man, as a boy. Where do you think He did a lot of his growing? Sitting under the Word of God. He grew. He made this a habit. What should this tell us? This should be our habit. This should be our custom. Our habit as God's people to be meeting together on the Lord's day to hear the word of God proclaimed. We go to our text, you know, the very familiar text in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. Listen to this. As is the habit of some. See, there's some out there that have the opposite habit. The opposite custom of not meeting with God's people, when this is clearly God's revealed will for us, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we gather, beloved, it says, it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another. That word means to entice or to provoke. See, those words aren't bad. It's just what are we provoking one another towards? What are we enticing one another? To love and good deeds. I don't know about you guys, but when I gather... When I gather with you guys, I'm stimulated to love and good deeds. You guys encourage me. That's one of the points of meeting together. It's not to check off the box. But no, we stimulate one another to love, to good deeds. There's no place I'd rather be right now on the face of this earth than right here. It doesn't matter whether there's 500 of us or 15 of us, it's God's people. It's God's people. And it says, not forsaken our own assembling together as is what the habit of some. That that does not need to be our habit. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm going to pick on Joshua once again. I saw a post this week. He said, said, one day closer. (laughs) That's that's the point. That's the point of the church. Right? We stimulate. we, We encourage one another because guess what? We're one day closer. To one of two things: either your death, when you go to be with the Lord, or when the Lord returns to gather His own to judge the wicked. But that's what—that's part of the purpose of the church, beloved. There's, but many people that have excuses—they don't want to gather. And I thought just of a few. I don't get anything out of it. Some people here, some you and these are excuses. That's what it is. They're excuses. I don't get anything out of it. Listen, listen to that. That is the consumer mindset. That's not God's purposes for what you can get out of it. First of all, you're you're here to worship God. You're here to worship God because He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy, and that's where in God's economy, that's the way He has established it, that the people of God gather. It's not the only time we gather, but this is the primary gathering. This could apply to any time the church meets. If you're able to be there, it's not some legalism like we're going to beat you over the head if you're not there. This is for your own good. But we, we gather to worship Christ. And it doesn't say we gather to be stimulated. We gather to stimulate one another. You worry about encouraging other people. You don't come to the Lord's house saying, what can I get out of this? Well, people are, not, people are not doing this for me and they're not doing this for me and I'm not getting anything out of this guy up here talking. No, we're here to worship Christ and to be an encouragement and to stimulate one another. Here's another one. The preaching's not good enough. Again, excuse. I know more than this guy up there preaching. And the reason I thought of this one, guys, is because think about who Jesus was. He was faithful. It was his custom to be in the synagogue. You think he ever had those thoughts? Man, I know more than this guy. But it didn't stop him. He was there. He was there. He's a model for us. It was his habit. We need to be in church. Beloved, it needs to be our habit. Not so you can check off the box. Turn to Ephesians four real quickly. Ephesians four eleven through fifteen. We really see even more so than being an encouragement to one another. Which those I'm telling you what guys stimulating one another, encouraging one another that helps in the Christian life. It really does. It's it's a journey and it's lonely. It's lonely, especially out in the world. When you meet and you encourage one another, you realize, man, I'm not the only one. God has His others who hadn't bowed the knee to bell, and We gather together and encourage one another. But look at Ephesians four, eleven through 15 All of this is in the context of the local church. And He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, or the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to a mature man to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of christ as a result we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wave of doctrine by the trickery of men by the craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even christ i could keep reading but that's that's sufficient Beloved, we need to be in church. In verse 12 in Ephesians 4, look at this. He gave teachers, He gave pastors, He gave these different leaders. Why? For the equipping of the saints for works of ministry. That's the point. That's the purpose of the church. Works of ministry. What is this? This is our mission in this world as Christians. See, we, we are to, our custom, our habits should be to meet, but we don't stop there. That's just the beginning. This is where we get filled. This is where we get fed. Why? So that we can be equipped. So, that, so we're not the ones being tossed to and, fro, to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but so that we are equipped and we can correct false doctrine and those caught in error. That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of the church. How can a person call themselves a follower of Christ if they have no desire to be with God's people? John said, By this we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You're never going to find a perfect church, right? And if you find one, like Spurgeon said, the moment you show up, you've ruined it. So his custom, right? His custom, his habit... Jesus as our model? That's just basically the introduction. Because now we're going to look at the heart. We're going to look at the heart of His ministry. Christ's ministry. But first of all, we do see Him being in the house of God. And the Word of God is very clear. We need to be in the house of God to encourage one another, to be equipped, to go out and accomplish the mission that He has given the church. And this is the mission. Secondly, we see His calling. We see His calling. Could have very well put His ministry... But that's what I mean by this word calling, guys. His calling. What 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 was he called to do while he was here? What are we called to do? Verse seventeen through nineteen. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. I'm going to stop right there, real quickly. Again, that's just he's reading out of Isaiah 61, which we looked at earlier. Verses 1 and the first sentence in, in, in um, verse 2. In verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He has, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So again, this is His ministry that we're going to look at. And this is our mission. So we meet. We meet in the house of God to be equipped. Now we look at the mission. Look at our mission. Look at His ministry. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Because He has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because He has anointed me. That word anoint, it could mean set apart for this work. But the idea, guys, when you see that word anointing, it it means to be in contact with. To be smeared, to smear or to rub. Obviously, the, the context is with the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus Christ is saying that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because why? He has anointed me. He is, his, the Spirit of God is smeared upon Christ. He is in contact with the Spirit. The Spirit is in contact with Him. And this was a continual thing in the life of the Lord. But this is what the church of Jesus Christ needs. Talking specifically about preachers here. And all of God's people, but specifically for those who stand and preach the Word of God. We need those who are anointed by the Spirit of God. Like, actually, in contact with the Spirit. In the Spirit, in contact with them. Like, we talked about last week somebody who truly has the Word of Christ dwelling within them, bubbling, needing to come out. But what questions do we ask? What seminary did you attend? What seminary have you been in contact with? What seminary you got smeared all over you? Hey, what books have you been reading? Those are not bad things. But they cannot replace the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is what we need. Men who don't just have head knowledge, but an experiential knowledge of walking with God, of being filled with the Spirit of God, of being so in contact with the Spirit, Smeared by the Spirit of God. And what did he say? He is a the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to what? To play games? To have pizza parties? To be a fan of the world? No, to preach. The Spirit of God has anointed me to preach. You know what that simply means? It's a proclamation. It's to announce something. It's a declaration. I'll have people that tell me on the streets, hey, you need to stop that. Turn that thing off, man. Let's just have a conversation. No, God sent me to preach. I'm not here to argue. I'm not here to have an apologetics class. I'm here to declare. I am declaring something to you today. That's what it means to preach. Jesus said the Spirit of God has anointed me to preach. Jesus told His disciples... What you hear in secret, proclaim from the housetops. Proclaim in the world what you hear in secret. What do you hear from God in your quiet time? What do you hear from God when you're reading the Word of God, when you're studying the Word of God, when you're meditating upon the Word of God, when you're sitting under the preaching? Whatever you hear in secret, take it to the world and proclaim it from the housetops. This is not the housetops. The housetops is out there. The housetops go into the world. Now, this applies to all God's people. Many people don't proclaim anything because they're not hearing anything in secret. Do you ever have those times where you're, you're in your secret place with God? Right? That place we talked about last week where the Word of God is richly just being poured into your heart and your soul and you're praying to God and you just thought, man, I just feel like letting this out. <laughs> That's what this is. Whatever you hear in secret, proclaim from the housetops. And then he says, "What is he to preach? He is anointing, anointing me to what? To preach? Preach what? Preach your opinion? Preach what's in the newspapers? No. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. The good news. It's a certain message we're to preach. We don't make up the message. We don't make up what it is we're to proclaim." We preach the Gospel, the Good News. That's what we see our Lord doing. This was His ministry. This is what He's commanded us to do. To preach the Good News. This is is for all Christians. All churches. This is our mission. Oh, that we would be like the Apostle Paul. Woe is me if I do not preach the Gospel. Woe is me. That's some serious language. Woe is me if I do not preach the Gospel. And Luke, down, just down in this same chapter in verse 43. Jesus said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. You see it, guys. Jesus Christ was a preacher. Jesus Christ trained His men to be preachers. I must preach, He says. So He's been anointed to preach. To preach what? To preach the Gospel. To preach the gospel to who? To the poor, he says. And still in verse 18. To preach the gospel to the poor, I think this has two meanings here when we talk about the poor. One primary meaning. But I think even many of those who are poor, poor in regards to material possessions and financial status, many of those who are poor, in that regard, they... They recognize their needs. They recognize that there's a there's a comfort that this world just can't give. So, in a sense, it is talking to the poor. Jesus went to the poor of this world to minister to them. And, and aren't you glad, beloved, that the gospel's for it's for all rich and poor? You don't have to have money to come to Christ. It's for the simple, the simpletons. And you know that, and that's what we see at the bus station. It's this crowd. It's the, it's the simple. It's the poor. There's no way you can explain this. And I've, you guys in here have probably all heard this. But there's no way you can explain that preaching in a certain part of Bricktown for six to nine years over by the theater and the, the, the ballpark, the restaurants, where you have more of the affluent crowd and, and offering Bibles Six to eight years we went through maybe ten Bibles. Maybe. That's probably being generous. Ten. Ten. Whereas over in about the same amount of time at the bus station, you guys have seen it, sitting them on the table. 2,500 to three thousand Bibles. That's a picture of this. Okay? So it's not we're not teaching you don't you don't go to heaven by being poor. It's not saying that these people are saved because they're poor, but many times because of what life has done to them, they are more open and respectful to the Word of God. So we go to them. Now, poor people go to hell just like rich people go to hell. Amen? So that's not what what we're teaching here. Riches do deceive, though. Riches do deceive. They bring pride. Riches, wealth, it brings pride, and it brings a deceptive comfort that can deceive a person. But praise God, the gospel is free. But I think primarily when, when you're talking about the poor, it's, it's, it's what Matthew clearly defines in his Beatitudes that we went through when we first planted the church. Those who are poor in spirit. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that word theirs is an emphatic pronoun. Theirs and theirs alone. It's only those who have been made poor in spirit. Who go to heaven. Because what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means when we recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt and we have nothing to offer God. It's when we recognize how sinful and awful we are and that Christ is our only hope. That's what, that's what the phrase poor in spirit means. Now generally speaking, those who are poor, those who are poor in this world are made poor in spirit more often than the rich and the wealthy. The Bible speaks to that but being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit. Recognizing your own depravity. It's only these who enter the kingdom of God. Isaiah 66 verse 2, but to this one I will look. This is Yahweh speaking. But to this one I will look to Him who is what? Humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at My Word. Somebody who has been made poor in spirit through the preaching of the Word of God is somebody who now trembles at the Word of God. They don't argue with the Word of God. They don't try to debate the Word of God. They don't mock the Word of God. But it's somebody who trembles at the Word of God. What you speak is truth, and I bow my knee to that. See, but it's only biblical preaching that produces this in a person. A person has to hear of things about the law of God, about Their sin about judgment to come in order to understand their need for Christ. It has to be preached. Faithful preaching. And that's what Spurgeon meant when he said, if any any of you really long to save men's souls, you must tell them a great deal of disagreeable truth. (laughs) See, it's all glorious when they get it and they bow to Christ and they repent and believe but sometimes, and we can all testify, I didn't always agree with this. Not in the sense that I, didn't, I never doubted this was God's Word, but I didn't like it. Who wants to hear about their sin when you're living in sin? Who wants to hear about hell? But when God has saved you, you now become humble and contrite of Spirit and you tremble at His Word. You marvel at His Word. And so it's to those, it's to those who are broken hearted Broken over their sin. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You're broken hearted. The Lord, is, the Lord is near to the broken hearted. And He saves the contrite in spirit. But in this verse here, guys, let's ask this question. What does the Gospel offer? What does the Gospel offer? He has anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. What does the Gospel offer? We see, that in these, we see three things here in this text. First of all, it offers release to the captives. Or liberty to the captives, it says he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Remember the original context in Isaiah. This was written to those taken captive in Babylon to restore them. Right, and that in that case, to their country, restore them to their country, restore them to their families, freedom from the for the slave, release from prison of Babylonian captivity. They were POWs, in a sense. But what does the gospel offer? Oh, something much more than that. Right? The gospel offers release from what? And that word release, it means forgiveness. The gospel offers release, liberty to those who are held captive by their sin. That's what the gospel offers. We were talking about up here a little while ago, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of preaching the gospel is so sinners can be set free from sin. That should be our motive to see our neighbor set free. In bondage, first of all, to the penalty of sin, right? We're in bondage to the penalty of sin. The sin, the penalty as a result of our sin that we owe God, that we would pay for in hell forever. In bondage to the law. But the Gospel sets free sinners from the debt that they owe God. It sets us free. In bondage to the power of sin. We're in, we're in bondage to the power of sin. But the Gospel offers us release, liberty, through the new birth, through the new life in Christ. We can now, like Romans chapter 6 says, be set free from the power and dominion of sin, beloved. We must tell people these things. You can be forgiven. You can be set free, so you're not a slave to your sin. You can be forgiven. That's what Christ can do for you. That's what Christ offers through His death and burial and resurrection. He can set you free. And that's when it's appropriate to share your testimony. Tell them what Christ has did for you. But but the powers in the gospel. The powers in Christ. But praise be to God, if you know Christ, you have a testimony. You can share that with people. Secondly, the Gospel offers sight to the blind. And recovery of sight to the blind. Listen to Psalm 82, verse 5. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. Do we understand this, church? Do we remember this? That sinners, they don't know. They don't understand. Sometimes we scratch our heads and we can become impatient and we can become irritable. But it says they don't know. Nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. That's what it means to be blind. Sinners are blind spiritually. We must be patient with them in hopes that God would grant them repentance. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be patient and gentle with all. And hopes that God would grant repentance and release them from the snare of the devil. They're under the snare of the devil. They're held captive to do His will. Acts twenty six eighteen. The Lord tells Paul, and just in the same way, God he's, or guys he's telling us that I'm sending you. He told Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, what to open their eyes so that they may turn, so that they may repent. From, dark, or from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan. Many times false religion. Unbelief. And, and to God. That's our mission, beloved, as a church. Jesus is the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Will no longer be blind. Will have eyes to see. He'll have, the, he'll have eternal life but it's all found in Christ. We point people to him. He is the light. Come to the light. And he'll give you eyes to see. And then third, freedom to the oppressed. To set free those who are oppressed. Freedom, liberty to the oppressed. That word oppressed it just means to break into pieces. It's somebody who has been broken down by the burden, by the weight of sin. In this fallen world. You know the sad thing is though? Beloved, that sinners, they think they're free. They think they're free. And what do they think about us when you come and give them a gospel message? You're intruding on their freedom. But nothing could be further from the truth. No, we're trying to say you can have true freedom. You can have true freedom, but it only comes through Christ. But He offers freedom to the oppressed. You think about this world. You think about a person's sin and all of the consequences of sin. Do we not see that on the streets? And people we know, family members, you see what sin does. It just destroys lives. Destroys your own life. Destroys your family's life. The consequence of sin. You would think that, that living in this fallen world would be enough to drive a person to Christ, but it's not. It's not. I know many of us have asked that question, how does anybody make it through this world? Just this world without Christ. Much less the next. But it's just the deception, decept, deceptive nature of sin. The enslaving nature of sin. That's what it means to be a slave of sin. To be enslaved and not even know it. But for those who are oppressed by their sin, for those who are broken down by their sin, for those who are oppressed by the devil, listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who labor. Can't you just see him preaching to the multitudes? These broken people. These rebellious people (laughs) who are living under the weight of their own sin, under the weight of the false religion of the Pharisees under this impossible weight of trying to earn God by your, your own works, when you know your life's just a mess, to hear the words of the Son of God say, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And when you do, you will find rest for your souls. Has anybody in here found rest for their souls? Amen? Amen. Rest for your souls. Comes through Christ and Him alone. Oh, yes, that needs to be our message to this world, beloved. Come, dear sinner. You can find rest for your souls, dear sinner. Drug pusher, you can come. You can find rest. Drug addict, you can find rest. You can find release from your captivity. Porn addict, come and find rest. You can be set free from this filth, adulterer, fornicator. Come, Christ will forgive you. Christ will welcome you. He died to set sinners free. Come, repent. Turn. Turn to Christ, homosexual. You can be set free from your perversion. Come, confused, trans person. You can be set free. Thieves can be forgiven liars can come come liars the lake of fire awaits all liars who refuse to repent but you can come and receive forgiveness come deceiver come slanderer come drunkard come pedophile do we believe god can save pedophiles is pedophile wicked absolutely but i've heard a preacher say there is no forgiveness for a pedophile I haven't read that in the Scripture where that's the unpardonable sin, but I heard a preacher tell me that. And he just he just bled self-righteousness. Beloved God can save even. And that's about as dark as it gets. He can save even the pedophile. Come! And come, you self-righteous preacher. You can come. Repent of your self-righteousness, your hypocrisy. Come to Jesus Christ. Oh, what a... Luke 6.37. I mean, John 6.37. All that the Father gives me... Well, they might come to me. (laughs) Oh, what a beautiful truth. All that the Father gives me will come. That's God's sovereignty. He gave them to the Son before the world. And the Son was to go die for them. That's God's sovereignty. They will come. All that the Father gives me will come. I've told our youngest son in his rebellion, I don't want nothing to do with Christ. I said, if God draws you, you will come. You will come. You'll obey Him. You will come. And you will come willingly. Because He will change your wicked heart, your rebellious heart, and you will come, and you will ask yourself, why did I not come sooner? (laughs) But listen, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And here's the promise. And those who come to me, the one who comes to me, will certainly not be cast out. Isn't that beautiful? If you come to Christ, you will not be cast out. You may be cast out by your family, by those who know you. You may be shunned. But there is one, the lover of your soul, if you will come to Him, He will not cast you out. Amen? This is what we need to tell people, beloved. This is the mission of the church. We can agree to disagree on a lot of things, okay, and have the maturity to do so. But this is our mission. This is what we are called to do. This is what Christ did. This is the commission that He gave the church of Jesus Christ. Individual believers. And for those who refuse, stop saying you're following Christ because you're not. Isaiah 55.1 Everyone who thirsts come to the waters and you have no money come, right? It's to the poor. Spiritually speaking and financially speaking. Come, whoever you are, you have no money come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That sounds like a confusing verse, but it's not. How can we come and we can buy without money? Guess what? Because it's been paid for. It's just a picture that what? Jesus has paid it all. And you can come whether you have money, (laughs) whether you have riches, whether you don't have anything to your name. And eternal life is free of charge, but it's because it's been paid for by another. Jesus paid for our salvation in His blood. And now sinners can come and can partake. Everyone who hungers, come and partake of the bread of life. Everyone who is thirsty, come and partake of the living water. And if you come, you'll certainly not be cast out. And then in verse 19, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. In the original context of Isaiah, this probably would have been referring to the year of Jubilee that you can read about in Leviticus 25 in the nation of Israel. Every 50th year, it was, a, it was liberty to the, to the slaves. Slaves will be set free, remission of debts, restoration of possessions to the original families. Beautiful picture, but what was it all a foreshadow of? A foreshadow of the cross, where what? All of our debts were canceled on the cross of Calvary. Our debts that we owe to holy God. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 speaks to this, having forgiven us all, or having forgiven us all our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us. Do you realize, guys, that the debt we owe God because we have have broken His law, we were indebted to God, and, and there was a set of decrees which were against us and hostile to us. It was the law of God. Pointing at us and saying, "Transgressor, death! Death is the result of sin, and you deserve to die, and you will suffer the consequence of sin." But it says, "He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." Our debt that we owe God—it was nailed to the cross, paid in full to die Our debt has been paid in full, beloved. Just like the song we sang, "It is accomplished." The only thing we bring to it is our sin that made, it, that made it necessary. We bring our sin, but when we put our faith in Christ, that work is now applied to us individually. Come, dear sinner. We beg people. We beg them to come. The favorable year of the Lord, beloved. <laughs> what do we tell people? What did Paul speak of? The writer of Hebrews, I think, is who it actually was. Behold now... Is the day of salvation. The favorable year of the Lord is now. The day of salvation is now. The time to respond to the gospel is now. This is our mission, church. This is our mission, what we just saw. This is our mission. This is our message. This is the main thing. This is that tip of the spear. Beloved, what motivates me personally? What dispels fear in me when I am fearful? When I, when I step up on somebody's front porch to knock on the door and to know, <laughs> you see them looking out the blinds and thinking, oh, they, here's just, just, you know, you have all these thoughts going, yeah, they think I'm some weird guy with a Bible in my hand. You see them, they look out, they don't even answer. Or, or when, you're, when you knock, you can hear them inside. And you're, and, you're, and you're having all these thoughts. And you can literally talk yourself out of doing it by these thoughts. But what, what motivates me and what is it that dispels the fear? That literally, this is what I'm telling myself. When I'm standing on that porch waiting on... And I do it literally every time. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm battling those thoughts, I stand on that porch while I'm waiting on that person to open the door... And I am saying to myself, I have the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I have the message that can set this person free from their sin, if they're a captive to sin. And you can tell by looking at them when they open the door half the time that they're a captive to sin. That there's no hope in those eyes. You ask them the question, are you forgiven? They have a blank look on their face. But that's what motivates me. That's what can dispel the fear and each one of your hearts and minds when you're battling that, just remind yourself, I'm not a, somebody out here peddling the Word of God like a Jehovah's Witness, trying to earn my way to heaven, trying, thinking if I knock on a certain amount of doors that somehow God's going to accept me. No, I've already been accepted in Christ. And I'm to go and to share this message so that He can save His people. The, all of those who will come to Him. They have no hope apart from Christ. And so that's what gives me hope and gives me courage that I'm here to share the good news so you can look at somebody with a smile and say, good morning. I'm so-and-so, and and I'm just here out in the neighborhood talking to people about Jesus Christ. Are your sins forgiven? But it's, it's, it's love, guys. It's love. Amen, Shiloh? Love is what motivates us. That's what motivates us. Do you have a love for these people? Do you have a love for the captives? Those in chains? Those in bondage? Do you have a love for those who are blind? They're headed for that thousand foot cliff. And people say, we're not to bother them. No, you're to go up to the blind man and shout, Sir, you need to turn around. There's a cliff out. You're going to run off the cliff. You're going to walk off that cliff and perish. I don't want you to perish. Don't listen to the naysayers. Oh man, you don't need to be going out there bothering people. You know what? Some of the most confrontational conversations I've had is with a friend or a family member over a cup of coffee. And I've had a relationship with a person for years. So, anytime you present the gospel to somebody, there's confrontation, whether you know them or don't know them. <laughs> that You just need to get over it. It's just the truth, it's the reality of it. We're, we're just to go declare that message. And God uses it in a mighty way. Third, in closing, his clarity. We see Christ as custom. We need to follow after him. We see Christ as calling or his ministry. We need to follow after him. And beloved, we see his clarity. In verse 20 and 21. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. The only thing I want to say about that is Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) Thus saith the Lord. Close the book. Verse 21. And he began saying to them he began to say to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing So he read from the prophet Isaiah and he said today it's been fulfilled I'm the fulfillment I'm the fulfillment that's what that's what he's saying here he's very clear It's been fulfilled I'm him Jesus was always very clear got him in trouble didn't it Oh you're claiming to be God Picked up stones to stone him. Yes, he was very clear, but that's what he's saying. I'm him. You don't have to look elsewhere. What did he tell the Pharisees? You search the Scriptures somehow thinking that that's eternal life, but you you miss me, who the Scriptures is all about. So you don't have to look elsewhere. The search is over. You hear people say that? I'm searching. Well, stop searching. (laughs) I told Muhammad that at the bus station. You don't have to search anymore. I love, but I love, just, I love just, he even told me that he, he thinks it's wrong. It's disrespectful to say somebody else is wrong. I said, well, Jesus was disrespectful then. Because he, he said, you're wrong. And so that's what I told Muhammad. You're wrong. You don't have to search, Muhammad. You can stop searching. It's right here. Christ, the one who died for your sin. The sins we just talked about. How are you going to pay for them? How are you going to remove them? How are you going to wash them away? Every other way leads to hell. Jesus is always very clear. He says, today, the Scripture has been fulfilled. I am Him. I am the promised seed, promised back in Genesis to Adam and Eve. I am the ark to find refuge for the coming judgment. I am the ram that Abraham slew. I am the deliverer that the exodus portrayed. I am the manna from heaven that fed the nation. I am the living water that quenched in the wilderness. I am the prophet that Moses promised. I am the high priest who offers a one-time sacrifice. I am the promised king to sit on David's throne. I am the suffering servant that we sang about earlier. I am the righteous branch. I am the sun of righteousness. I am the bright and morning star. Yes, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the King of kings. And I am the Lord of lords. I am... The way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. Am I clear? Jesus was clear, beloved. We must be also. We must must pray, beloved. You don't have to be a preacher for this to apply to you. (laughs) I mean, in one sense, we're all preachers. We're all to go proclaim a message. Pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that God would pour out His Spirit upon you in your study, in that secret place. So then you can have those things stored up. Stored up. You want to know when I just literally am bouncing out of my seat to go preach on the streets is when I'm preparing for a sermon. I'm just like, oh i got to go let it out. But beloved, that's true for all of us. In your quiet time as you're meditating on the Scripture, as you're reading the Word of God and you're talking to the Spirit, and the Word is just penetrating your heart. Oh beloved, store that up. If you need to write it down, write it down. But store it up. And share it with those who are blind. Share it with those who are held captive in their sin. Because it's the Gospel that is the power of God and the salvation. It is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit that we thrust into men's hearts. He was clear, and we must be also, beloved. Don't ever cower. Don't ever cower. Don't, don't compromise. You're put in a public setting where somebody's said, You know it's not popular. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Yes. What about all those, what about all those other people? They need Christ. Don't cower. Don't compromise. But with boldness and love springing from your heart, clearly, clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your clarity in Your Word. We thank You, God, for Your gospel, God. Father, we can talk about preaching this We can talk about obeying it in our own lives, God. But none of it would mean anything if we had not believed it first. If we had not been the captive that had been set free. The the blind man that has now been given sight. This, This would just be words on a page. This would all be academic. But Father, praise be to God that this is real. That You have set us free from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin. You've put a love and a burden in our hearts. And Lord, I just pray, God, for your people, for the most shy, quiet Christian, Lord. Father, that's been saved by your grace, there's a message in there. Message of your gospel, Lord. I just pray you give him or her, give myself, give all of us, just courage to speak and love. Father, to hand a tract to somebody. Let that track do the preaching. But Father, give us all a, a love and an urgency to share this message, to model after Christ, to truly follow Him, to, be, to, to take the Lord's house serious, to gather, to, to love one another, to stimulate one another, to, to hear Your Word proclaimed, to be equipped to study, to, to study in our own private times at home. Lord, to be filled with Your Spirit and then to take that message. Wherever it is You would lead us, God, out into this world, on our jobs and our with our family. Father, we thank You so much for Christ. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for Your, your saving message that You've given us. Lord, we thank You for Your clarity. And we just love You. In Jesus' name, Amen.